vaccination acceleration. In the month of May alone, we'll be receiving over a million doses of vaccine. The plan to speed up the rollout and clarifying the message about which shot is right for you. Another strike against No Fun Coover. During the pandemic, it's been very difficult to plan these major events. Why we're facing another summer with no big events. And stunning developments in the disappearance of Trina Hunt. Extremely shocking news, very sad news, and I'm hoping that a family is doing okay right now. The discovery of her body and the start of a homicide investigation. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we want to begin with breaking news of another shocking daylight shooting. It happened in a busy mall parking lot in Langley. Our Ramina Dea is at Willowbrook Mall with the breaking details. Ramina? Sophie, it is shocking that an innocent member of the public was not hit at this very busy location given the time of day. The calls of gunshots first started coming into police around 3.30 in the afternoon. Currently, right now, there is a colossal police presence here. They are gathering evidence. We were able to see them picking up uh, some bullet casings off the ground, at least two bullet holes uh, in the building there on the left-hand side between the sport check and the Toys R Us. As I mentioned, this happened around 3.30 in the afternoon. Multiple re- reports of gunshots. When police arrived, they found a male who had been shot. He was rushed to hospital. He was initially listed as a critical, life-threatening injuries and we're hearing right now that he is expected to survive. Now roughly 30 minutes after the shooting, police received more calls, this time about a burning vehicle at a berry farm in Aldergrove. Now who was going at each other here at this location? We don't know. Police are saying that the shooting is not random. We spoke to several witnesses with kids and families. They were here when the chaos erupted. I don't even remember what time it was. It was just chaos. But we were next in line for the cashier. And an announcement came on um, overhead saying, we've been made aware of an emergency situation. We're going to need you guys to head to the back of the store. And um, I just got this feeling come over me. And I looked at the cashier and I said, is there a shooter outside? And she goes, yes, you need to go. So um, I grabbed my child and kind of pushed her in the direction and everybody was ducking down and you're hearing duck down, duck down. And it was just, it was very surreal. So the gunman still out there, Sophie, we have no information regarding any arrests or suspects. Police are asking anybody with information to come forward. Back to you. Frightening afternoon. All right. Thanks for that, Ramina. And we are learning more about Bikram Deep Randawa, the 29-year-old man who was shot and killed Saturday evening outside a busy Delta shopping center. As Grace Key reports, Randawa's job as a provincial corrections officer is part of the investigation into his murder. Friends have been dropping off flowers where 29-year-old correctional officer Bikram Deep Randawa was gunned down in Delta over the weekend. BC Corrections confirms he worked at Fraser Regional Correctional Centre since 2016, adding, We are deeply saddened by the loss of our colleague, Bikram Randawa, and our thoughts and sympathy are with his family, friends, and those who were close to him at this very difficult time. 
The brazen daytime shooting unfolded at 5 p.m. Saturday outside Delta Scottsdale Center. A silver Audi was riddled with bullets. One young boy described the scene in the parking lot. I saw like a guy with like a gun, a black one, and then he was trying to shoot the guy who was in Audi, A4 I think. And then he was trying to shoot him and uh, he was running around like the, our car. When he escaped from uh, the guy in the car escaped, he was like trying to shoot him and then he was running around our car. Dramatic cell phone video moments after the shooting captures a man running through the parking lot. He drops something and picks it up. He jumps over some bushes, doubles back and appears to be looking for the getaway car. When the gray Mazda SUV pulls up, he has trouble opening the door. Someone in the back seat appears to unlock it. At some point, the Audi crashed next to the Shell gas station adjacent to the mall parking lot. One witness heard six shots. We saw two guys running across the street towards the white spot. Later on, we heard six more shots and then all of a sudden the restaurant manager came and said, everybody get inside. We're locking this all down. The Mazda SUV was torched a short time later in Burnaby. Delta police are looking into all possible motives, saying Randawa was not known to them. They're looking into his personal life, um, whether or not this could have been a case of mistaken identity and also whether or not this had any links to Mr. Randawa's um, profession as a uh, corrections officer. Police are asking for witnesses and anyone with video to come forward. Grace Key, Global News. Now to the COVID-19 situation in BC and some good news tonight on the mass vaccination front. With an increase in vaccine delivery over the coming weeks, Dr. Bonnie Henry says the process will start moving faster and potentially shorten the time between the first and second doses. Richard Zussman has the details. Along the way, AstraZeneca From the South Asian community to Metro Vancouver mayors, different groups, same message. We need more people registered. So this is an overt appeal to all of you uh, to use your voices. More than 2 million people have signed up now to get the vaccine, but that's not enough. The reason the province's age-based vaccination system is getting a shot in the arm. Starting this week and every week into May, the province is set to get 276,000 doses of Pfizer. In June, that jumps to 328,000 doses a week. In some ways, we've been building a spaceship as we've been flying it. And we're now entering into a new era, a new warp speed, if you will. The province predicting a huge jump in shots delivered per day. Over the last three weeks, it's been around 35 to 37,000 shots a day. The province has the capacity and now the supply to do almost double that. We're in a new phase of our immunization campaign. That the number of people by age and the rapid, the rapid way that we're going to go through age cohorts is going to continue. On Friday, the 56-plus group were told they could book. It's now 54-plus, going to 52-plus Tuesday and 50-plus on Thursday. The rapid rate of booking is leading the province to revisit a major policy decision. BC now looking at shrinking the gap between the first and second doses. And with the new increased supply that we have, we, we are looking at the potential of decreasing the interval to, the, uh, to less than 16 weeks for most people. A glitch has been detected in the province's online vaccination registration system. Some people who received AstraZeneca are now being told to get a first dose of Pfizer, something Dr. Bonnie Henry is advising people not to do.
recognize that that's a glitch and they're going to be fixing it. So there's not, I, um, we don't believe there's a risk of people being missed. It's the other way around. It's been incredibly confusing. And that's just a difficult situation for everyone right now when we need, we need all hands on deck. Glitches aside, the vaccination rollout is going faster than what people expected. The hope now from Dr. Bonnie Henry that everyone that wants a first shot will get it by mid-June. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. And another shot in the arm today for BC's vaccination program. Ottawa has given the green light for a fourth vaccine, this one from Johnson & Johnson. It's recommended for people 30 and older, but as Aaron MacArthur reports, due to an extremely rare side effect, some people might choose to wait for a different shot. The vaccine is here. Hundreds of thousands of doses have arrived, but Health Canada still hasn't released it for use. The Johnson & Johnson shot is being held because a component in some doses was produced at a plant in Baltimore that has been flagged for safety violations. Despite this red flag, the National Committee on Immunization says the Johnson & Johnson vaccine can be used safely. The Anson vaccine may be offered to individuals 30 years of age and older. The vaccine is much like AstraZeneca, a viral vector. While health authorities have been telling Canadians to get the first shot that is available, Monday, a new wrinkle in that messaging. NASI says it now prefers the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna and is advising Canadians to wait for one of those shots if they can. Mixed messaging that has caused concern. So what does Health Canada advise? This is a lot different from what we've been hear hearing. Taking the first vaccine offered or wait if you can for an mRNA vaccine. If any Canadian is questioning whether a vaccine is right for them, the best place to get information is from their healthcare professional. Doctors across the country tried to put NASI's position into context, still advising people to get the first shot available. In BC, Dr. Bonnie Henry clear the benefits of any vaccine far outweigh the risks. With the amount of transmission we are seeing in this province and in this country, then the, the best advice that I can give and that we, uh, my colleagues across the country give is the first vaccine that you have uh, access to is the one that you should get. The risk of blood clots remains extraordinarily low. Seven cases in Canada reported for more than 2 million distributed doses. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Now to the numbers, and health officials are reporting on three days of COVID-19 numbers for BC, and overall, there is reason to be hopeful. Since Friday, we've had 2,174 new cases, with two of those days posting numbers below 700. BC's total is now 131,656, with more than 7,300 of those cases active. 474 people are in hospital, that's down 37. 176 people are in the ICU. 11,781 people are in self-isolation. Sadly, we lost 15 more people to complications of the virus, and now nearly 1.8 million people have received at least one dose of vaccine. Keith Baldry joins us live with more on today's numbers. And Keith, as we saw, there's been a drop in hospitalizations. 
Yeah, there's a drop in a number of categories, Sophie. And as you say, this is some encouraging numbers. Daily case numbers are down on average. Active cases are down. And the biggest three-day drop in hospitalizations occurred over the weekend since the pandemic began. Take a look at the breakdown by Health Authority in terms of the drops in hospitalizations. And these are net hospitalizations because more people uh, check out a hospital than uh, are actually go going in overnight. Fraser leads the way with 289 in hospital, a decline of three. The big drop, though, Vancouver Coastal down 23 cases in just three days. Interior again down as well and the Vancouver Island continues to drop. The north actually up one but that's pretty good for them. They were in the high 20s for some time. Again this doesn't reflect the number of people in hospital on any given period but from an overnight basis this is the best we've seen trend of for the last three days than any time in the pandemic. Dr. Bonnie Henry today saying this doesn't mean we're not going to stop we're going to suddenly stop seeing cases of COVID-19. That's going to be with us for a long time but she likes the encouraging signs she's seeing. It's going to be a while before we no longer see new cases, but we need to keep doing our bit to stop those chains of transmission and stop the, the chance that it's going to spread to large numbers of people. And the things that we are doing are making a difference, and we need to hold the line and keep doing them for the next few weeks. So it may very well be the case that we peaked with our hospitalizations just a couple of weeks ago. The weather's getting warmer. The virus is not transmitted as much as it was in the past. That all points to good signs, including a continued slide in hospitalization numbers. All right, let's see more of those uh, decreases in the days to come, hopefully. Yeah. Thank you, Keith. The mayor of Rossland, B.C., is apologizing for traveling to the U.S. during the pandemic. Kathy Moore went south of the border to get vaccinated and spend some time with her family. Despite the fact she has dual Canadian U.S. citizenship and despite the fact she was open and transparent about the trip ahead of time, she's being blasted on social media and accused of hypocrisy. She has family who she's been away from for almost two years. And people need to be with family. And she's doing it responsibly because she's a responsible person. Well, I think we should always be a good example. And I question that being a very good example. And I hope, I'm sure she'll have some way of explaining it. And I hope it's an adequate explanation. Moore didn't respond to Global's request for an interview, but in a statement says she agrees that elected officials should be held to a higher standard and her decision to travel to the U.S. was wrong. Well, more than four months after a wealthy Vancouver couple allegedly traveled to a remote Yukon community to get vaccinated, the local First Nation says it still hasn't received an apology. A lawyer for Rod and Ekaterina Baker is expected to appear on their behalf in court in Whitehorse on Tuesday. The Bakers are facing charges of violating the Yukon Civil Emergency Measures Act. In late January, they flew to the remote community of Beaver Creek in a chartered plane, then allegedly misrepresented themselves to get vaccinated. In a statement, the White River First Nation says the Bakers have not communicated with them to make amends for endangering their community. Picket lines have gone up at one of the federal government's quarantine hotels on the Lower Mainland with workers saying their jobs are being taken away by low-wage Red Cross workers. More than 100 employees have been laid off in the past year. And as John Waugh reports, much of the blame is being directed at the federal government. It's probably not the wake-up call people were expecting when they were forced to check in at this quarantine hotel. I feel betrayed and I feel like the federal government says one thing but acts on another. 
former staff of the Pacific Gateway Hotel in Richmond say they've also faced a rude awakening when the award of this federal contract failed to save their jobs. They were devastated. They were wondering, well, when are we going to return to our jobs? What's happening to us? What about our futures? In total, 103 employees from this hotel were laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. The union says those staff members had the right to be recalled for a period of one year. Quarantine hotel contract, the first glimmer of hope. They might finally get the call. The government actually displaced workers and brought in the Red Cross to perform similar duties that these workers were doing. Instead, the union says the government's use of the Red Cross carried the company through the recall period, killing any chance Pardeep Thandi could return to the job she's had for 27 years. Mr. Trudeau, you can look where I am now, where all the workers now, we all lose the jobs. That's not fair for us. On behalf of Pacific Gateway Hospitality Industrial Relation rights, there have been permanent layoffs as mandated in the collective agreement due to the pandemic's impact on the entire hotel sector over the past year. So far, they've been using this uh, pandemic to annihilate the entire workforce in the hotel and replace us with also minimum wage workers. Both the Federal Ministry of Tourism and Health failed to provide comment. Back at the Pacific Gateway Hotel, staff say they don't buy into the company, being in financial hard times. They have enough money to build a second tower. Why can't they hire back their workers? The fact this development proposal sign came up just days after dozens were given their final termination notices, former employees say is an all-time low. John Hua, Global News. Weeks of wondering and hoping have come to a tragic end. The search for Trina Hunt took a devastating turn over the weekend with the confirmation her body had actually been found a month ago. How neighbors and friends are reacting tonight, next on the News Hour. The celebration of light stays dark for another year, and that's not the only big summer event on the bubble. Why COVID cancellations are piling up later on the News Hour. And a local business owner outraged by a vandal, and not just for tagging her property. What he did right before the spray paint starts, coming up on the News Hour. But first, tonight a memorial is growing outside the home of Trina Hunt, just days after investigators revealed the Port Moody woman was the victim of homicide. We're going to miss her so much. We love her. And rest in peace, Trina. On Saturday, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team confirmed human remains found outside of hope in late March were those of Trina Hunt. The 48-year-old went missing on January 18th. Her husband said he last saw her early that morning. A massive search was launched, and while the official search was called off after a few days, volunteers never stopped looking. Trina was a wonderful wonderful woman really uh, down to earth just an amazing woman and and uh, she had a heart of gold and just just an incredible woman and, and i can't say enough about her and it's just been devastating for us for the family for her friends even for the community and and to see the community support has just been incredible instead of flowers hunt's family is asking people to make donations to the family of chilliwack woman shailene bell who went missing on January 30th. We're expecting to hear more from IHIT about the investigation into Trina Hunt's death in the coming days. A makeshift memorial is growing for one of the recent victims of gun violence in Metro Vancouver. Flowers, photos and candles have been set up behind Frank Hurt Secondary in Surrey. 
there for a 19-year-old man who was fatally shot on Friday. IHIT says he arrived at Surrey Memorial Hospital with a gunshot wound around 1.30 in the afternoon and subsequently died of his injuries. There's no word at this point as to where the shooting occurred or what the circumstances were. IHIT does say, though, that this does not appear to be related to any other recent acts of violence. They say it's an isolated incident and there is no further risk to the public. A commercial truck driver has been acquitted of criminal negligence in relation to a multi-vehicle crash on the Coquihalla. It happened August 5th, 2016, near the Great Bear Snowshed. Eight people were hurt in that crash, despite finding that the brakes on Roy McCormack's truck and trailer unit weren't properly functioning. The judge ruled his actions or inactions did not meet the threshold for criminal negligence. Still ahead, a warning, in-app purchases during video games can add up quickly. All you want to do is just to have fun. When a young gamer with special needs racked up huge bills, she called Global's Consumer Matters for help. And the Canadian Navy goes to war against drug dealers, making a major bust. A crash in Surrey southbound at 152nd Street at 92nd Avenue. It's blocking the right lane, so a bit of a tight squeeze getting in through here. Everything's merging into the left lane. Seeing the backup maybe almost reaching 96th Avenue, so if you can avoid 152, do so. Save time, shop online with Save on Foods, and swing by for free curbside pickup or have it delivered to your door. Shop faster, shop easier in the Save on Foods app. In Global One Above Surrey, I'm Tim May. Children racking up in-app purchases without your knowledge can be a costly surprise for parents. Yeah, that was the case for a Langley mom who received a huge bill when her nine-year-old son purchased several games without her permission. And we'll bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua for the details. Ann. Thanks, Chris. Maria Vasquez says her son unknowingly made the game purchases. Her son has autism spectrum disorder, and Maria says he didn't realize the games cost money. She tried to explain her son had made a mistake, but Apple considered her case closed until Consumer Matters got involved. We get home, you have Wi-Fi there that you can play your Roblox, okay? Nine-year-old Thaniel loves to play online games in his spare time. All you want to do is just to have fun, enjoy playing these games just to, you know, pass time. It's in cartoons. Thaniel has autism spectrum disorder. And Maria Vasquez says last July her son made several game purchases without her knowledge. Popular games like Roblox and Coinmaster. He purchased tons, tons of games. The incident began when Maria says she was updating Thaniel's iPad, which synchronizes with her phone. What's the name of this? You read it for me? What she didn't realize at the time, she says, is that her son had memorized her password. So he was next to me when I'm doing that. And it's just like, what, seven characters. And since he has ASD, that's one of his strengths, you know. Their memory is very strong. When Maria finished her shift at work and looked at her phone, she discovered her son had purchased several games through Apple worth over $1,100. Of course, I was like shocked. Like, I was in a state of like, what to do, you know? Because 
uh, as a single mom, it's not easy. Maria says she reached out repeatedly to Apple to explain what had happened and requested a refund. He's minor. He's just nine years old with autism. Like, come on, right? But in the end, Apple sent her an email stating that a refund could not be approved and the case was closed. Apple recommending Maria review Apple Media Services' terms and conditions. She was out hundreds of dollars. I'm, I'm mad. I'm mad. I'm mad because they, it's not really reasonable. Maria came to Consumer Matters and we reached out to Apple asking why the company would reject Maria's request and if it would reconsider her case. Within a week, Maria received a full refund. Apple telling Consumer Matters, all of our products have built-in tools and resources to help customers actively protect themselves and their families from unauthorized use and spending. Ms. Vasquez has been provided with a full refund and an apology. This didn't happen sooner. Are you tired now? A big relief to Maria, who says she can use that money to pay her rent and help with her son's therapy. Thank you so much, Miss Anne. Like, you know what, until now, like, unexpected because it's just like, what, three days after I emailed you and your response for all those people who send you an email and you look after my case, which is, I'm happy. Apple says all of its customers are provided with built-in tools and resources to help parents better manage their child's use of devices, including parental controls, all of which can be found on the Apple website. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. Great work. Thanks, Anne. The owner of a Kitsilano business is in disbelief over surveillance video showing an alleged vandal spray-painting her shop over the weekend while recording the entire act on a smartphone. The security camera set up outside TR Trade's reproduction was rolling Friday night as the alleged culprit set up his own recording and then proceeded to spray paint the walls of the building. The kit's print shop was one of several businesses hit during the spree, something the owner says adds costs and stress during an already difficult time. It's been really tough during COVID. So to come in in the morning and having seen that your building has been damaged by, you know, someone who's blatantly, um, you know, filming it and, and either they think it's funny or they want um, likes or something online for it, it's really disturbing. Carla Duncan says she will be turning the video over to Vancouver police so that they can have a closer look at the suspect tomorrow. Up next, tackling some big problems in Canadian rugby. There's people backing us up now. Allegations of abuse leave the National Women's Sevens rugby team in tatters. What the investigation found. And the hope of herd immunity in the U.S. and why it might never happen. Taking a look at Fraser Highway and Willowbrook Drive in Langley. Traffic moving pretty well through this area just west of the Langley Bypass. Despite part of the uh, south end of the Willowbrook Shopping Centre being blocked off here, it is still blocked off, so going into this part of the parking lot, inaccessible right now. Save time, shop online with Save on Foods, then swing by for free curbside pickup or have it delivered to your door. Shop faster, shop easier in the Save on Foods app. In Global One Above Langley, I'm Tim Bain. An Esquimalt-based Canadian warship has made a record drug bust in the Arabian Sea. The frigate HMCS Calgary intercepted two vessels off the coast of Oman on April 23rd and 24th. On board, they discovered more than 1,500 kilograms of heroin and methamphetamine with an estimated street value of more than $23 million. 
The interception is part of Combined Task Force 150, a multinational maritime security operation. Questions are being raised about an independent review that's led to the resignation of one of Rugby Canada's most successful coaches. John Tate stepped down after 37 current or former members of the National Senior Women's Sevens Rugby filed undisclosed complaints against him. A third-party investigation found Tate's behavior did not violate Rugby Canada's policies on harassment or bullying. Still, the longtime coach said his position had become untenable, so he was stepping down. The players don't feel their concerns were ever properly addressed until the issue became public. There's people backing us up now, and our voices, if, if they haven't necessarily been, been heard and accounted for by Rugby Canada, the public knows it. And um, I'm just, I'm just hopeful that yes, they, they come forward and they say we will do this and this to 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 protect our athletes going forward. Rugby Canada says it has approved what it calls an updated safe sport policy manual. And following the Summer Olympics, it will undertake an independent assessment of the women's sevens and other programs to address concerns of players and staff. All right, returning to our top story, the breaking news of a man rushed to hospital with potentially life-threatening injuries following a shooting, this time in the busy parking lot of Willowbrook Mall. We'll go straight to our Romina Dea, who's live there with the latest. Romina. Chris, police just removed a black Range Rover from the scene here. Still a colossal police presence. They also seem to be focusing on a black Mercedes SUV that's got covered up plates that you can see there in the background. Now, they've been gathering evidence for hours. They collected bullet casings. Um, there are actually two bullet holes you can see there in the wood wall behind me. Um, and it's there are two markings on the wall there. So we saw at least two bullet holes in the wall in between the Toys R Us and the sport check. This shooting happened at around 3.30 in the afternoon. It is shocking that an innocent member of the public was not hit. It's a very busy area at that time of day. Multiple reports of gunshots had come into police. As you mentioned, there was a male shot. He was rushed to hospital. We're hearing that he will likely survive. Now, roughly 30 minutes after the shooting, more calls are coming into police, this time about a burning vehicle at a berry farm near Alda Grove. At this time, we don't know if they are linked. It what happened here? We still don't know. We, we don't know why these guys were going at each other. We don't know if this is retaliation. All we know is that there were several witnesses here that were here with their children, with their families, when the chaos erupted. And I heard um, a few shots. I, I don't know how many, maybe four or five. And I ducked behind a car. because. And then um, I found out somebody was shot just inside the sport check. And all these guys showed up and all of a sudden, it's like a gang war. It's like I'm waiting for Bruce Willis to pop up. Very little details from police at this point. As I said, still huge presence gathering evidence on scene. As far as suspects go, we've got no information. No information on any arrests either. Police are hoping that anybody with information or with dash cam video from the area comes forward. Back to you. All right, let's hope we get more info through the evening. Thanks very much, Romina. 
Well, for months, doctors have been saying that the key to freeing the world from the grips of the pandemic will be herd immunity, when enough people have built up a resistance to the virus. But the vaccine struggles seen around the globe, either from trust or distribution, have some medical experts questioning whether herd immunity is now nothing more than a catchphrase. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. The exit from this pandemic appears to move farther away with each step forward. COVID-19 is not just going to magically disappear. Vaccine development was supposed to be the way out, a gateway to so-called herd immunity. But building up global resistance, except through being infected, was always a tall order. Infrastructure and money make vaccinations a challenge for some nations, while in others, it's misinformation and distrust of science. All of these moving things make this elusive number of, of herd immunity really kind of difficult to define. Variants also pose a threat to the 80% or higher figures needed for herd immunity. As restrictions ease, mutations are given a chance to travel with their hosts. The success of one nation can be easily eroded by another's struggles. We are not a closed society. We are always going to be subject to, to cases of COVID-19 and to new variants. The more immediate concern, a noticeable plateau in the U.S. vaccination effort, where hesitancy has dropped daily numbers by at least a quarter. We won't reach herd immunity or community immunity if all of these people that are thinking they're going to depend on everyone else don't get the vaccine. Children still vulnerable and unvaccinated also threaten herd immunity as vaccines are still tested, with some doctors fearing herd immunity will never be reached in the U.S. or in Canada, where wave after wave has put a 2021 goal nearly out of reach. It's sort of a fuzzy target, and, and it may be a bit of a moving target as the virus continues to evolve. Even without herd immunity, health experts say there's a chance for a return to normal, but will require a global effort. We could manage this through vaccination such that uh, this is something that affects people uh, at worst like a cold. That could help control a virus after more than a year of uncontrolled spread. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. All right, let's lighten the mood a little bit just ahead. The living remnants of a bygone era in Vancouver sports. The smell when you went in was hot dogs. Squire hits a home run with a look back at Athletic Park. It's very simply named, and what happened when the biggest name in baseball paid a visit? But first, a summer of big events suddenly on the back burner. Well, it was just two months ago that Dr. Bonnie Henry suggested we might be in a post-pandemic world by the summer if everything goes as planned. Yeah, that is a big if. Today's announcement that the biggest event of the summer has been cancelled again and the latest from Dr. Henry has generated more confusion and frustration about summer planning. Ted Chernecki reports. Even before the pandemic, Vancouver had a reputation for being no fun Coover. It started after police cracked down on Millennium Celebrations, and it's a moniker, right or wrong, that stuck. And now the celebration of light fireworks, cancelled for the second year in a row. Our industry doesn't turn on overnight. You know, we, we often plan things three, six, nine, twelve months out. So the sooner we have some sort of a roadmap, the better. The good news is that the celebration of light dates for next year have been set. All of these big events rely on the free movement of people, so it's hard to see if any of these events happen on time, perhaps downsized, pushed back to a later start, or cancelled outright. Same for the convention business. 
What we know right now in terms of losses from 2020, we have a $14 billion visitor economy. We believe that we've lost about $9 billion of that. And in that, about 76,000 jobs approximately have been lost for 2020. Don't count on any big events for the rest of the year. What we hope with the program that we are on now, with the amount of vaccine that we have, is that we will be able to have some small outdoor events. I can say there is not likely to be big events of any sort, even outdoors, in the, through this summer and into, uh, into the fall and winter of next year. Words like hope and not likely are vague and not what planners of big events need. The problem is it takes major financial and time commitments for all involved. The UK publishes targets it tells businesses it needs to trigger freer movement of people. In the UK, in terms of what they've done in setting targets uh, for businesses and the populace, we think has been very successful as we understand it. We also understand the provincial government is looking at that model as well. And that's the kind of surety that our industry needs in order to plan ahead. Ultimately, it'll come down to the vaccine rollout. The longer it takes, the longer it'll be before we can try and put fun back in Vancouver. Ted Chernecki, Global News. All right, perfect timing for sun on the weekend. Now the rain comes on the weekdays. Mm -hmm. We're all fine with that, Christy. Yes, I suppose so, unless you had the, you were working on the weekends and had the weekdays off. You know, it's always a bit of a tough start, though, on a Monday to have some rain, that's for sure, Chris. And we've got more sunshine on the way for all of you that felt a little dreary today. Uh, the rain is already starting to ease off. One family didn't mind the rain today, though. This is from Burnaby Lake. Thank you to Michael Davis. Uh, yes, a little gosling family there. So cute. Yes. All right. So we are going to see the showers ease off overnight. Tomorrow morning, still a slight chance of showers across the south coast, especially out through the east. Fraser Valley, but generally a drying trend through the morning hours and a clearing trend right across the province. Lots of sunshine tomorrow into Wednesday. Dry conditions still, but we are expecting more cloud cover. In the meantime, back to sunshine, which will be nice. So sunny conditions with near seasonal values right across the province. As I mentioned, just a slight chance of showers in through those eastern sections in the morning hours and for the south coast as well, but clearing through the morning with a high of 15 degrees for Metro Vancouver. The next bout of rain not set to push in until Thursday and when we look at our central windows weather window for today it is a gorgeous shot looking out over Kamloops where they had some rain and it sort of created this rainbow along the ground there as the sun was uh, coming down today or starting to set I guess. Wild. Thanks Christy. All right Squire is here now the Canucks uh, back at home Squire. Yes, they are for a couple of games and if facing uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl isn't hard enough the Canucks have a bunch of guys missing now. You don't usually run into that. Uh, I don't think we have before. We've had eight forwards hurt. Tonight is the first of three games in four nights against Edmonton. We'll talk about this coming up. All right, and hallowed ground. You've probably driven over. What became of Vancouver's legendary athletic park where Babe Ruth once played and how part of it still lives on? All right, Squire's here now. What's happening, Squire? Yes, we'll start with the uh, Canucks. They looked fatigued last week when they played Ottawa and Toronto, and now they have to play three games in four nights starting this evening against Connor McDavid and the Oilers. And if you're not 100% against Connor McDavid, he could make the scoreboard go tilt all by himself. Jay is at Rogers Arena, and he has more in tonight's game. 
This time last week, the Vancouver Canucks spirits were soaring. Confidence was high, and rightfully so. They had won three of four games after returning from their COVID quarantine. But then it all went sideways on their eastern road swing. Back-to-back losses to the Ottawa Senators. Then they go into Toronto, lose both games to the Maple Leafs. And now they find themselves 14 points back of the Montreal Canadiens, who hold that fourth and final playoff spot in the North Division. 11 games to go for the Vancouver Canucks. And tonight, the first of four straight against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. You usually just don't shut players like that down. There are certain parts of your game, your systems, that maybe you've got to tweak a little bit when you play them. Uh, you've definitely got to be aware when they're when they're on the ice. You know, when you look at the scoring leaders and you see what where they're what they're capable of. There's a lot of nights they don't stop them. And if we want to win tonight, we're going to have to. That's obviously part of the game plan when you play Edmonton. It's no secret. When you think of the Edmonton Oilers, you think of the best one-two punch in the National Hockey League. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Right now, Connor McDavid sitting on 87 points. The Edmonton Oilers have seven games left to play. 13 points for McDavid to collect to hit the magical 100-point barrier. Will it happen against the Vancouver Canucks? It could very well. Those four straight games against Vancouver, five in total of the Oilers' seven games, will come against the Canucks. You look around the league, they're obviously too... Uh you know, one of the best duos out there. Uh, they're pretty dangerous when they're on the ice. And it's just trying to, um, you know, limit their time and space as much as we can. And that means, you know, trying to limit their rush chances, closing on them, uh, you know, as early as early as we can when they're, you know, trying to make plays. Um, you know, going to have to be ready. The Canucks have those 11 games left to play. And at some point, we might see Elias Pettersson. Today, Travis Green said that Petey is still practicing hard. He's hoping to return, but as of yet, no date is imminent for Elias Pettersson's return. And there's no doubt about it, the Vancouver Canucks have missed his scoring output. Canucks are having trouble scoring goals these days. Braden Holpe starts for Vancouver tonight, and no Brandon Sutter. Sutter's out with an upper body injury. With your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. Cole Caulfield scored his first ever NHL goal Saturday in overtime against Ottawa. Tonight he's facing Austin Matthews of the Leafs, and that's uh, Austin Matthews' 39th goal of the year. This one would go to overtime. Guess what happened? Again, five feet, seven inches tall, the little big man scores one more in overtime. Cole Caulfield, first two goals as a have, both game winners. 3-2 for Montreal, so now they're 16 points up on the Canucks. Connor Bedard of North Van had a huge game in the quarterfinals of the U18 tournament. Gets a goal there. That's a deflection. That made it uh, 3-0. And some bodies. Logan Stankoven gets a pass from Bedard. The Kamloops kid scores. That made it 4-1. Five-point game for Bedard. This is another goal for him. Standing close to the net. Puts it in. Canada's off to the final four after a 10-3 victory. Uh, Canada beat South Korea 8-4 at the Women's World Curling Championships today, which isn't televised right now because seven members of the broadcast crew have COVID. They might not get television until Wednesday. The Canadian rink is 2-5 and five and in danger of missing the qualification round. Yikes. Wow. All right. Thanks, Cora. Let's check in with Sarah McDonald now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sarah? Sophie, Chris, we continue to follow the latest Lower Mainland shooting in a very public place today, this time in Langley, just steps away from a children's toy store. We have a crew on scene chasing the latest developments on this for tonight and talking to witnesses. Plus, more on that controversy brewing inside Rugby Canada. And Squire joins us once again with sports. That's all coming up at 11, guys. All right, thanks, Sarah. Squire's doing triple duty because Vancouver's legendary sports venue, Bulldoze to make way for the Granville Bridge is part of his focus coming up next.
All right, Squires here now. They don't get a lot of points for the creativity of naming Athletic Park. <laughs> Uh, but wow, what a what a place. The spirit is still alive. That is true. It was uh, Vancouver's main ballpark from 1913 to 1951, operated by Vancouver's Mr. Baseball back in the day, Bob Brown. It had to disappear so the Granville Bridge could be refurbished and that. That's all in the story. So why don't we just start the story of Athletic Park? <laughs> Before Nat Bailey became the beloved heart of baseball in Vancouver, the biggest, shiniest diamond in the city resided right around here at Six and Hemlock, near the south end of the Granville Bridge. This was where Athletic Park was located. It was the home for pro teams like the Vancouver Beavers and Capilanos, and numerous amateur teams would play there as well, like the famous Asahi team, whose member Kei Kamanishi went to games at Athletic Park. So good to diamond. Yeah, just, you know. Was it big, like a big outfield? Yeah, a big outfield. So not too many home over, like, you know. Row fence, not high one. Yeah. But no home run. No, no home run. Yeah. <laughs> Another who spent childhood days at Athletic Park is John Har. I remember the smell when you went in was hot dogs. You know, hot dogs and peanuts. It was an old stadium and probably not very beautiful. But it was certainly beautiful for young kids that came in. I, I couldn't wait to get there. The biggest game ever at Athletic Park was in October of 1934 when Babe Ruth came to town with Lou Gehrig and other All-Stars on their way to a tour of Japan. They played a local Vancouver team despite it being a very rainy night. And they played, I'm not sure, they didn't play a full nine innings. They may play five innings. And Ruth didn't do much. He didn't hit a home run. I think there's stories that he did, but he didn't. Oddly enough, no one can find any photos of that game, despite the legends being there. Athletic Park burned down twice and was rebuilt both times before it was finally demolished in 1951, when the land was needed to refurbish the Granville Bridge and its on-ramps. But part of it went to the new stadium, Nat Bailey. They took the soil from the ballpark and put it at Nat Bailey. That's the, that's the DNA left from the ballpark. The terror. It's amazing <laughs> to me. Babe Ruth That's comes mean. to town and no one brings a camera. It is amazing. There are no pictures of him on the field there. But Apparently it was really rainy and people showed up and Babe Ruth said to everybody, well, if these people have shown up, we might as well go out and play a little bit of baseball. Let's hope we can get crowds back at Nate, Nat Bailey sooner rather than later. And now I want a hot dog. Right? <laughs> and a Not beer. from 1934. <laughs> no. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.